Well, good morning. My name is Chet. I'm one of the pastors here. If you have a Bible, grab it. Go to Philippians chapter 1. We are working our way through the book of Philippians. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a blue one tucked under the seat in front of you. Uh, if you're sitting on the front row, I guess you should have brought a Bible because it's hidden. But um, if you grab that blue Bible, it'll be on page 570. If you don't own a Bible, we'd love for you to take that Bible home with you. That'd be our gift to you. We'd love for you to own a Bible. We are working our way through the book of Philippians together. And Paul is writing from prison to a church that has been supporting him, and we're going to work through this. I, um, I get to coach flag football. I've coached flag football for the past couple years now, and uh, there's a spring league and a fall league, and I've been coaching flag because that's the age my sons are, and that's kind of the, without having to travel, that's the age of football they're in. And uh, it's a lot of fun. Coaching flag ball, football is, is a lot of fun. I, I like football. I like coaching. One of the things I've noticed and I've been surprised by is that the first practice goes really well. I always expect the first practice to be difficult because we've never done any of this with these, with these children. They're learning it all. But it's like they show up zoned in, ready to go. And the first practice is, usually goes well. And in the first couple of weeks, their knowledge of football, because with a lot of flag football, I've had practices where I, at the end of it, I say, who's played football before? Like flag football before? And they all just, and I'll say, who, who hasn't? Sorry. And they all raise their hand. And I'll be like, okay. My whole team is like, all right, this is a football. Like we've got to start at the very basics. But they learn a ton of stuff in the first couple of weeks. Like their amount of knowledge is just, it's an explosion of football knowledge in the first couple of weeks. Because when they show up, they don't know anything. And I realize this, you're, you're, you're trying to instruct them, but you're speaking a different language. You're looking at the kids going, you got to get up, you got to get on the line, you got to get on the line. And they will look for a line. Well, there is no line. It's an imaginary line attached to the football. We had a kid one time. We put him in the back. We said, this is your spot. You're, you're running back. You're about four yards off the thing. He said, okay. He lined up. We ran the play. We gained like five yards. We lined the ball back up. Everybody get to your spot. Get to your spot. He runs. He's like 12 yards off the ball. And I was like, hey, man, your spot's right here. And he goes, no, it's not. I marked it. And we're like, oh, no, that's going to move. It's going to move. You have to mark it in relation to the ball. He had, he had dug a little hole in the ground. It was, it was pretty smart, but it was like, it's not going to work. Um, so it, it's a thing where they, they grow, and then all of a sudden, after a while, they kind of know what we're doing. They, they show up to practice. They know kind of the drills we're going to run. They know the words we're going to use. And now it's work. It's practice. We're going to do the same stuff we've been doing. We're just going to try to get better at it. The amount of effort that it took to learn and to grow on the first practice was very little. The amount of effort it takes on the 12th practice, the 15th practice, you're actually now working on a specific thing that you're not good at. That's why we keep talking to you about it. You're having to grow in this area. And one of the things that I've noticed about that is that that's similar in some ways to what it looks like to follow Jesus at times. We have these explosions of growth. When you first become a Christian, it's like everything is new. Everything, you're taking it all in. If you're new to Christianity today, even as we sang and read parts of the Bible, you might have only understood like every third word. You were like, what? What's that word mean? What's that word mean? What, what are we talking about here? Why are we all sing about blood a lot? What's that about? Like we're just, there's a whole lot of things where it's like you're new to it and you're learning, you're growing. And then at some point you kind of know the stuff, but now it's time to practice it. And so we have seasons where we feel like we're growing, and then we have seasons where it's like, phew, this just feels like a lot. And then there are times where we thought we were doing pretty well, and then we fall into sin, or we have relational difficulty, and it's just like, I just don't even know. 
There are times as you're following Jesus, you really will go, I just, I don't know if I'm going to make it. I don't know if I'm going to get to the end of this. I don't know if I'll still be standing when all this is over. I just don't know. And so I want you to take a moment. If you're a Christian, you've placed your faith in Jesus to just consider where are you right now? Just in your own heart and before the Lord, just are you, are you zealous for the Lord? Is this a season of growth for you? You wake up excited to read your Bible and to study and to love your community group when, when you're hosting and getting your house ready for your group to come or you're on your way over there, are you whistling and happy and just praying for the Lord to minister through you to these people and to be a blessing? Or did you have to give yourself a pep talk to get in the car? You're like, I'm not sick, but I feel kind of sick. And someone near me coughed today, and I might have caught that, and I'd hate to give it to my group. How can I word this text? So it's not a lie, but they don't ask a lot of questions. Like, is that what you had to do? You had to talk yourself out of that? You had to go get in the car? You had to go, like, where, where are you right now in your zeal for the Lord? Where are you right now in your desire to grow and to minister and to serve? Because what we're going to see that Paul says in chapter 1 to the church in Philippi is wildly encouraging as we try to follow Jesus day in and day out for the rest of our lives. Which if you're a Christian, that's what you're going to do. You're going to follow Jesus every day for the rest of your life. And this is very encouraging. So look at chapter, uh, chapter 1 verse 3 is where we'll start. We read this last week. Just trying to get our head in the right space. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. So this is Paul writing to the church in Philippi who blessed him with a gift as he's been in prison. They're helping take care of him. Always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Verse 6. And I am sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That's the verse we're going to spend our time this morning considering. Now, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. But we're going to read verses 7 and 8 and follow the logic in them because it ties back to verse 6, and then we'll spend our time on verse 6. It is right for me to feel this way about you. Okay, what he says in verse 7 and 8 is weird and has always been very confusing to me. And I think I actually now have an understanding of it, so I'm very excited to share this with you. But it's going to take a second to just try to articulate what he's talking about here. What he says is, it is right for me to feel this way about you. Well, what way does he feel about him? He feels that he's sure that he who began a good work in them is going to carry it to completion. Okay, I want him to say, it is right for me to feel this way about you because of what Jesus is like. And we're going to see that that actually is baked into how that works, is it's based off of who Jesus is. But that's not what he says. He says, it's right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. So at first this sounds weird. Because you need to be in Christ, not in Paul. And when they go face Jesus at the end of time, they don't get to go, I'm in Paul's heart. Let me in. 
That's not how it works. So it's weird for him to base his certainty off of that, but there's a word in here that makes a very big difference. What he says is, it's right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart. Verse 6 is true for all Christians, and we'll see that in a second. What he's saying is, I'm confident you actually belong to Christ. I'm confident that you, church in Philippi, are really Christians. I'm saying this to you specifically, and I'm confident for you specifically. So what we're going to see is it's true for all Christians because of Jesus, but Paul is certain it's true for them because of how he feels about them. So he's taking an objective reality and adding this subjective layer that makes him more certain. And here's why. He says this. Because you're all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and the defense of the confirmation of the gospel. Meaning you've joined me in what I'm having to face right now in imprisonment, in my imprisonment and my defending of the gospel and declaring the gospel to those who have been imprisoned, who've imprisoned me. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Not the affection of Paul. He says, Jesus is at work in me to love you in such a supernatural way that I'm confident that you belong to him. And so I don't mind saying about you specifically, not about Christians in general, but you specifically, this is what's true. And maybe some of us have experienced that in the church where we love one another in a way that's like, no, this is Jesus at work in me to love you like this. This is a Jesus at work in us for us to have this kind of relationship. And I'm confident that he's at work in you because of how he's empowering this love in me. And if you haven't, prayer would be that we would grow in our love for one another. But that's what he's, ba- he's basing it off of. So we're going to go back to verse 6. So he says his confidence in them specifically is based off of how he loves them. But we're going to look at verse 6, which is true for all Christians. And we're going to spend our time just breaking this sentence down because it is a wonderful sentence. And it says something that the Bible says all over the place. This is not like this is one place where it says this. It says this idea all over the place. We're going to walk through it. So he says this, I am sure of this. So first thing, he's certain. This is a reality. This is true. It's a certainty. There are some things where Paul says, I hope. Even in this letter, he says, I hope to do this. Or he says, I'm not quite sure what's going to happen. But he says, I'm sure of this. I'm certain. This is solid. This is true. This is real. What's he sure of? That he who began a good work in you. Okay, so we need to know who he is. What's the he who began a good work. So who's that? Well, that's God. Or more specifically, Christ. So if you're a Christian, that's true for you. That he began a good work in you. He began it. You know, you, you ever try to get in a situation where you're trying to uh, uh, figure out what's going on between kids and they'll yell, he started it? Well, we get to gloriously declare, he started it. He, he began this. He's the one who did the work. If your relationship to Jesus is, you know, one day I decided I was going to get it together. The reason I'm a Christian and the reason I'm a part of a church is because I decided, you know what, I got to get my act together. I'm going to start doing this right. I'm going to become one of the good ones. You don't belong to Jesus. Because it's not about you starting it. It's about him starting it. He, he does this work. He rescues and redeems. Let me show you this. This is uh, John. This is Jesus speaking in John chapter 6. He says, 
No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Now, you might in that moment feel like I'm, I'm following Jesus, I'm choosing to do this, and that you, that's part of it. But it's also because he's allowing you and he's calling you and he's pulling you forward. That's what Ephesians 2 says. Ephesians 2, this is a longer section. I've chopped it up a little bit. It's still the same idea. I haven't cut out anything that changes the meaning. But he says this. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. But God, being rich in mercy because of the love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. So if you belong to Jesus, you were dead, rebellious in your sin. And because he loved you and because he's wonderful, by grace... He brought you to life. We sang a song about that this morning. I once was dead in sin, alone and hopeless. And then we sing, we've been made alive. That's Jesus' work in us to begin this work, that he starts it. It says you've been saved by grace. By grace you have been saved. Grace is unearned favor, undeserved merit. Somebody taught me a, a little, um, reuse the first letters poem, acrostic is that what it's called, acrostic? Is that what it's called? Did somebody say that to me? Thank you. Yes, I'm very smart. I knew it was an acrostic. I was just seeing if y'all did. Um, God's riches at Christ's expense. That's what grace is. You get God's riches because Christ paid for it. You didn't earn it. It's been given to you. It's granted to you. So you've been saved by grace. And you're like, is that really what that means? Well, he, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. If you brag about a gift, you brag about the person who gave it, not about you. Like if, if I'm wearing a new shirt and you say, that's a nice shirt. I say thanks. I, mean, I don't mean to brag, but I did do Christmas this year. And you'd be like, what do you mean? And I'd be like, you know, I guess it's kind of like a trophy because I went, you know, it was at Christmas and my mom gave it to me. It's like, I think you just, your mom's nice. I don't even know what you're talking about. It'd be weird. And that's what he's saying. Nobody boasts. Nobody stands before the Lord and says, look at how wonderful I am in any sort of way that points on us. It's that he began this work. Okay. That's great news. That he who began the work in you, that he's the one who started it. And then he says this. So I'm sure of this. Let's go back to verse 6. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Will bring it to completion. Well, what is it? What's he bringing to completion? The good work that he started. Jesus finishes what he starts. Oh, y'all, that's so good. Your Christian walk goes from Jesus to Jesus. You're there, but he's the one at work to accomplish it. He starts it, he finishes it. So much better than what this could say. It'd be theologically inaccurate. But what if Paul had written, I know you're going to make it to the end because y'all are great. 
I know you're going to make it to the end because you don't mess stuff up. We're in the, just finished the college football playoff and the national championship and this pro playoffs. I was watching a basketball game yesterday. We've just been enjoying a lot of sports at my house. I have a, a six-year-old who wakes up in the morning, other kids want to watch cartoons. He says, is there a football game on? It's like, dude, it's 6 a.m. <laughs> but we recorded one so you can watch that. <laughs> I watch a lot of sports, but there's these moments at the end of games when it's close. The ball's got to go into somebody's hands. So somebody's got to run the ball. Somebody's got to throw the ball. Somebody's got to catch it. Somebody's got to take that final shot. We're, we got five seconds left. We're going to try to get it in this guy's hands. He's going to take the shot. Now, it's encouraging when someone says, you're taking the shot. We believe in you. It's like, yeah, okay. But also, that's a lot of pressure. You ever had someone look at you and go, I know you won't mess this up. I know you won't mess this up because you don't mess stuff up. And you're like, do what? <laughs> someone say, I know you'll handle this right because I just, I know how you handle things. It's like, do you? Because I mess up stuff like all the time. I hurt people all the time. I, I do things poorly all the, like that's one of the main things I do actually. <laughs> It's not that Jesus gave you a clean slate, handed it to you, said all your past sins are forgiven, and then leaned in real close and said, now don't mess up. See, at the end, no, he, he began the good work. He's going to complete it. Jesus finishes what he starts. That's wonderful. If you belong to Jesus, if he began a good work in you, He's going to finish what he started. When he says he'll never leave you or forsake you, he means it. He's going to bring it to completion. And here's another thing that we need to see in this, this sentence. He began a good work in you. In you. I think so often we just think about it being for us. It is something he did for us, that he died for us. And he did, he did die for us. But his work that he's doing is in you. We're going to talk more about this next week. But that means you're going to be there the whole time. It's not just something that's in, impersonal and that's happening out there. It's something that he's doing at work in you. That he's changing you, that he's redeeming you, that he's working in you. That you're going to grow and you're going to develop. So it's going to feel like repentance. It's going to feel like effort. It's going to feel like uh, confession. It's going to feel like service. It's going to feel like ministering and caring for others. And he's going to be doing this at work in you the whole time. I love what John Piper said about this. He said, it's not an inoculation he gave you when you were six years old. An inoculation is where they give you a little bit of something so your body will develop your own immunity to it. Like... Polio. I have never once worried about polio. I was inoculated to it. I did get chicken pox, what they now have uh, an inoculation for. And I learned that there's a whole group of people right up underneath me who didn't get chicken pox. 
But I got chicken pox. I'm a little salty about it, but it's fine. It's nice that we, you know, my dad got mumps. I didn't have to get that. So, I mean, it's nice that, that we have inoculations. But he says, this, that's not how this works. It's not like Jesus brings you in one time and says, all right, get out of here. You don't have to worry about this anymore. You don't have to think about this anymore. He says, no, it's not an inoculation. It's dialysis. Dialysis is when your kidneys fail and you have to go in four to six times a week for three to four hours and have them cycle your blood and filter it for you. And he says, it's in you and it's beautifully, wonderfully personal. Jesus is doing this work in you. Do you know that? You growing as you follow Jesus is not something you're doing on your own or that he's impersonally doing. He's the one at work in all of it to grow you, to develop you, to change you. He's there. He set it up. It's dialysis and he's the one doing it. He set it up to where he's never not the one working on you. So it's not just something that's going to happen in you over time and then he'll see you at the end and see how it turns out. It's something that's going to happen in you over time, daily, all the time. And he's doing it. Do you see how close he is? How much he cares? When you're struggling to grow, to repent, to confess, to work, do you see how near he is in all of that? And because it's going to be in you and because it's going to be completed, I want you to know, to the glory of Christ, he's going to do it. So right now, if you're in a zone where you just think, I just don't know if I'm going to make it, the question isn't, am I strong enough? The question is, do I really belong to Jesus? Because if you do, you're going to make it. But also... If you're thinking, maybe I'll just choose this sin. Maybe this will be one I just don't repent of. If you belong to Jesus, Jesus says the kingdom of God is like leaven that's put into a lump and it works its way through the whole lump. I know that in my personal life, there's been every once in a while where I'm like, Jesus, you can have all that stuff over there. But this right here, I know kind of what the Bible says about it, but that's why I don't want to talk to you about it. This one's still mine. And Jesus is like, you know I'm going to finish what I start, right? And, and to his glory and for our grace and for our good, he doesn't, lose, he doesn't lose those. He claims that territory. My suggestion would be surrender, knowing that he's good because he's going to finish what he started. There's a C.S. Lewis quote where he says in his book, The Problem of Pain, he says, we are, pauses, not metaphorically, but in very truth. So we are, and this is true, a divine work of art, something that God is making and therefore something with which he will not be satisfied until it has a certain character. That he's at work in you, on you, and he's not going to stop until he's made you perfect, which is wonderful. 
So he began the work. He's going to complete the work. It's going to be done in us by him as he works uh, in us by his love and his goodness to change us, to grow us, to develop us. And then it says this, we'll bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Let's take a second. What's the day of Jesus Christ? Well, Isaiah 13, the Old Testament will refer to it as the day of the Lord quite often. Isaiah 13, 6 says, Wail, for the day of the Lord is near. As destruction from the Almighty, it will come. So the day of the Lord is a day of destruction from the Almighty. Ezekiel 33 says, For the day is near, the day of the Lord is near. It will be a day of clouds, a time of doom for the nations. Jesus talking about Luke 17 says the day of the Lord is his. It belongs to him. He refers himself as the son of man. But he says, for as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the son of man be in his day. The day of the Lord is Jesus's day of judgment, of reckoning. When the world is stripped bare, brought down to its foundations, and 2 Thessalonians says this, verse, uh, chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you, talking to the church, and grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. So the day of the Lord is the day of judgment, but it's very different experientially for those who belong to Jesus and those who don't. When Jesus calls everyone to account and we're all going to pay for our sin, what Paul says is, on that day, if you belong to Jesus, you won't have any sin to pay for. You'll be perfect. So you might be picturing in your head that one day... Jesus is going to judge everybody, and in that moment, you're going to feel shame and guilt and fear and doubt. You're going to want to shrink back. You're going to want to hide and press yourself up against the wall and just hope that you make it out. Not if you belong to Jesus. That'll be the day that the church is unveiled in its perfection. That'll be the day that we are displayed in all the glorious wonder as a completed masterpiece accomplished by Jesus. Do you understand that if on that day, Jesus is like, I'm here to judge the world. And look at this ragtag bunch of scamp, weirdo, dirty punks. All right, you're in. Father, this is my church kind of gross. That would besmirch his glory. That's not what he's going to present. He's going to unveil the church in beauty and glory and completed perfection. But on the day that he judges the world, do you understand that the church will walk forward not shrink back, 
but be made perfectly whole, perfectly perfect, without a spot or blemish or wrinkle or any such thing, holy and blameless and above reproach, presented holy and blameless above reproach before him, that we've been washed by his work and there will be no spot, wrinkle, blemish or any such thing. So if you have in your mind that you're going to make it in like Indiana Jones, just as the door drops and barely get your hat and then push yourself up against the wall as the one little creature that snuck into the church that's dirty and gross, not if you belong to Jesus because he's going to make you glorious to the praise of his glory. If you stare at a masterpiece, it proclaims the work of the master. He's not going to be done with you till he's perfected you. And on that day, you'll be perfect. If Jesus has begun a good work in you, he's going to complete it. And there's going to be a day when we stand glorious, whole, restored, new, perfected to the praise of the glory of Christ who gets to display his glory in how he's redeemed sinners and made us whole. Some of us understand rightly that we're sinners in need of grace. But we somehow fail to realize you've received grace. I'm a sinner in need of grace. Yes. And by grace you have been saved. You needed it. You have it. Pick your head up. Yeah, there are times to get before the Lord and say, have mercy on me, a sinner. And then stand up. And say, thank you, Jesus, that you have mercy on a sinner. I'm going to be whole in that day. We're not limping in. We're not a straggly mess. We're being made complete in us. He will have done his work and before him will be presented glorious and wonderful. He's presenting us to himself, to the Father, and all of our glory, which represents his glory. That's why in Thessalonians it says, 2 Thessalonians, if you go further in verse 10, it says, to be glorified in his saints. I think we would always want to word that as by his saints. But he's going to be glorified in his saints as he displays how good he is. You know the best hospital around here is the one that takes the sickest people and lets them walk back out? That's the best one. Now, if they were like, we're able to pack the most sick people in here. It's like, okay, do they leave? Nah. It's like, I'm going to go to a different hospital. We'll take the sickest people. You fix them? Nah. If there was a hospital that said only well people, you need to be kind of already okay. Our emergency room is more like an inconvenience room. That wouldn't be a glorious hospital. The most glorious hospital in our area is the one that takes the sickest people and lets them walk back out to the glory of the hospital. And that's what Jesus does on an eternal scale in you if you belong to him. He takes all that's twisted and sick and broken, messed up, diseased, disgusting, and he renews it, restores it until it is glorious and it proclaims and shines to the glory of, Fa- to the glory of Christ and his work and to the glory of the Father so that when someone sees us in that day, they will go, oh, isn't Jesus wonderful? I think sometimes, specifically people who don't know Jesus, will see a passage like this and will say, well, if that's true, if he starts the work and he finishes the work and he's going to perfect you 
you know, take a nap. Don't worry about it. He's just going to do it. Wouldn't that just make you want to quit? Wouldn't that just make you want to stop? Not if you really know Jesus. This is the sort of thing that makes you go, Jesus, I trust that you actually are going to fix this in me. I trust that you actually are going to work in this. I trust that you are here right now performing dialysis in my soul on all the things that I want to fight you over. And I want to read my Bible and I want to pray and I want to study and I want to go be around my group because I want you to be at work in me and I want to be presented complete and whole in that day to the glory of your name. This grants us courage as we seek to follow him. If Jesus has not begun the work in you, ask him to. Ask him to save you. Ask him to redeem you. But if he has, oh, on that day, we will be made perfect. Because Jesus finishes what he starts. Let's pray. Lord, we come in here functionally and practically, as those who follow you, we come in functionally and practically in different places. But Lord, we come in theologically in the same place. That you have us. That you hold us. That you keep us. That you protect us. That you lead us. That you work in us. That you will never leave us or forsake us. That you will get us to the finish line. That you will present us holy and blameless and above reproach before yourself to your own glory. That you will bring us made new and whole and righteous and perfect without spot or blemish or wrinkle or any such thing. And so, Lord, while we may be more or less tired, more or less relational difficulty, with more or less enjoyment and delight and zeal at this moment, we do not have more or less of you and more or less of your promises and more or less of a certainty of the end result of those who belong to you. So we ask by your spirit that there would be courage to cling to your promises and to hold to the hope. And Lord, we thank you that you finish what you start. In Jesus' name, amen. The band's going to come back up. We're going to take communion together as